I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we're all out of birth control and... Oh, I guess we're out of both those things. We can't blame Trump for this. Yes, we can. This is read all over your graceful alias Grace recap. Let me in. Woo! Woo! Reunited and it feels so good. I missed you so much. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was late on the uptake. Uh, But we did have a fan who specifically requested we bring back the self-care horn. So... That one was for you, Krista Lundy. Anyway, yes, I'm happy to it's be back. Christina Lundy. Sorry, Christina. This was for yeah. you and your sister, Krista. I met her in New York when I was there. Son of yeah. a mother. I meet our fans constantly. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I just, um, I'm very accessible. Yeah, I hung out with uh, Stephanie. That's right. Who's a fan. That's right. Frequent uh, contributor on the Facebooks. That's right. And once a fan and her boyfriend came to my show, and I have promptly forgot their name, but boy, howdy, did I remember you then. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, anyway. uh, It's exciting to be back with you. Hashtag self-care horn. Yep. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad that you're here. We had to cancel our previous recording date and our actual real human non-content creation date yeah we've can't postpone that date a bunch so i know hopefully didn't we say we would do it like in the beginning of november yeah i'm like holding us accountable like on the podcast okay if, <laughs> if it's the beginning of november ask us if we've been yeah, on a if date it gets to be my birthday week and we haven't been on a date we've got a real problem <sighs> the romance is gone <laughs> JK. How do we put the spice back in our podcast? It's not, because now we're talking about a spicy new topic, Alias Grace. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. Me too. About the Alias Grace TV show. It's. I'm pretty excited about it as well. Um, real quick, I just want to go through... Sorry, I, it was my fault. I transitioned us into this, but I wanted to... Get, I, was, I was surprised. I know. We, we rehearsed this. I'm rusty and I'm shy. <laughs> you're we not need to shy. get back into the swing of our you're, relationship. You're once upon a mattress shy. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, uh, just do... I want to do a quick bit of housekeeping right away. Thanks, everybody, for participating uh, super duper consistently in our... Uh, read all over Facebook page today uh, before we recorded I asked if you guys had anything you wanted us to talk about so I'm just going to go through and I'm going to leave some of the big things to the last because they might engender a bigger conversation uh, and gender <laughs> someone it. asked would you recap the deuce no um, <laughs> <laughs> not because you who suggested it are wrong just because James Franco is okay uh, let's see somebody said uh, happy birthday month to Kayla Wiggins Hoseman, even though by the time we publish this, uh, your birthday will have come and gone. So quit celebrating. It's not your birthday anymore. <laughs> it's not even your birthday month anymore, Krista. Uh, I, I Kayla? Oh, it's now we're Kayla. E- Kayla. Now, now we're even. Listen. You said it correctly. I'm the name the it of every redhead, as far as I'm concerned, is Krista. <laughs> you are just really into Fern Gully. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you are male, female, or uh, non-binary, your name to me is Krista. So anyway. I mean, that's handy. Redhead Krista, whose name is <laughs> Betty Lou Torres, would like us to shout out the cosplay of Gilead meetup at Dragon Con. They had 60 people show up as handmaids, including one man and a T-Rex. Highlight was us calling the creepy street preachers false prophets. Well done, you guys. We saw, yeah, a we saw the pictures. We'll uh, post a picture of that. 
I have decided unilaterally. Uh, uh, but it's definitely worth sharing. It was impressive, except for like this one Becky who like <laughs> didn't get the hue correct for the wife outfit. Uh, we're not here to we're not here to critique your cosplay. Oh, I am. I'm very, very much good. here to critique. Listen, I don't do cosplay, so I'm a real asshole about it. <laughs> uh, and then we have Nicole Barber who said, please do Pride and Prejudice. Nicole, have I got a birthday month present for you? <laughs> Your old dad, Kelly, actually recorded several episodes of podcasts based on Pride and Prejudice for her podcast, Up Yours Downstairs. That's correct. You do need to be a Patreon supporter. Mm-hmm. For the low, low price of $1 a month, you can get all the Pride and Prejudice recap goodness with my co-host, Amy, who I think was Amy. I believe I so. I can't remember if she, I think she might have become Amy like halfway through. You, she, or she was out of her whole life. And just Listen, didn't. guess what though? Guess what? You'll find out. And Nicole, uh, looking at your Facebook page from your comment, you have a beautiful family, but you can also afford a $1 a month subscription to her <laughs> Patreon uh, should you need that Pride and Prejudice content. Oh, uh, if, and also, can I do a brief plug for please. anything that I'm doing on my Patreon? Sure. I am going through the entirety Soon to be a major motion picture from the minds of Lauren Graham and Mae Whitman. <gasps> cool. So uh, I'm obsessed with that book and I talk about it and we get into it, y'all. It gets real. That's wonderful. What a cool project. I know. So- it's nice. It's nice to do as I am fun employed. <laughs> <laughs> so support Aunt Kelly on her uh, Up Years Downstairs Patreon. We'll put a link somewhere. Did I mention them? Fun employed. <laughs> <laughs> And then the topic that several of you asked us to address, which we'll try to do as quickly as we can uh, on the Facebook, is you wanted us to talk about the uh, Me Too movement, uh, wherein women who have experienced sexual assault or harassment uh, post simply Me Too uh, as a way to show people on their social feeds that, hey, a lot of people you know experience this and haven't said anything. And by a lot of people... Every single woman. Every woman. <laughs> Basically, anybody who's not a cis het white man. And even some of those yeah. have been hurt and not said anything. So it's a prevalent problem, I think, is all. Yeah. I mean, and well, there was that happened. And well, all this kind of precipitated from the New York Times publishing this like extremely in-depth takedown of Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. who, uh, if you're not familiar, at this point, I don't know how you could not be familiar. Did you recently wake from a coma? <laughs> Welcome to 2017. Trump is president and Harvey Weinstein's a rapist. Um, but pumpkin spice coffee comes out in August. So, <laughs> you know, not everything is trash. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah. Well, anyway, so like there was like women boycotting Twitter mm. and all of these things are going on. So like, there's definitely an interesting conversation happening. Um, did you participate in the thing? In the thing? So, so I didn't participate in the uh, Twitter boycott because it was also a woman appreciate, woman of color appreciation day on Twitter. And so I chose oh, to I had uh, no idea. lift up uh, my ladies of color that day. And also, I mean, it's not that noble. I am truly super addicted to twitter so it's i was gonna not boycott yeah Um, it already coincided with i was going on a yoga retreat uh (laughs) so it was real convenient for me to boycott twitter and actually i mean i did make a like decision because i was off all of my social media for Mm. the entire weekend and i'm gonna just do that from now on yeah i i think what i loved about this and what made my heart heavy about this is it truly was 
like you said, is it's every woman who you've ever known ever has experienced this to some degree or not. And, you know, I think we took for granted that people experience it on the harassment side, you know, even if it's just as a cat caller. But uh-huh. what was interesting and incredibly brave to see was the women telling their stories of actual like sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I think about the Lindy West quote where she says, I hate that women have to like trot out their trauma and become extremely vulnerable and raw in order to get you to believe something simple that there's that so Mm -hmm. many of them are saying so i'm happy that this happened so that more people could see and talk about it but i'm also upset that women always have to take like the lady godiva approach to these political things i don't know what the answer is nor Um, do i well and you know and the same thing goes for i didn't realize it was women of color appreciation day on Mm -hmm. friday yeah like but it's like I've seen criticism as well of the Me Too thing that somebody was like trying to get that going, like a woman of color, like tried to make that happen a long time ago. And it's just like, there's clearly like this chasm of communication yeah, on the internet between women of color and white women. Sure. And white women, I think need to bridge that gap. Yeah. Like it's our responsibility. Absolutely. And I, I think what makes me excited is that I feel like this is the first time in my life I've seen so many women, speaking out about something that we all talk about to each other and they're talking publicly about something we as women know have happened. Yeah. And I think too, like talking about it in a group, like I feel like a lot of these conversations I have are like one-on-one with somebody mm-hmm. because it's like, Oh, like you never know who's friends with who or like who's right, going to tell yeah. or like, it's, you know, it's just, it's very fraught. Yeah. Like how you have these conversations, even with your female friends. Absolutely. And to see so many people be, I liked how matter of fact it was. Yeah. Like Uh that was the thing is I think that's the kind of sea change is like, not that these stories aren't emotional, not that we aren't becoming vulnerable, but it's like, I think everybody is so burnt out and so tired Yeah, that it's just, you know, yeah, I, I, I truly hope we're going to see some kind of shift. Absolutely. And to be honest, I think we will. Uh, So what I would like to say to our listeners is you are strong and you are important and you are heard uh, by us at least. And please take care of the women in your life and take care of yourself and find ways to be joyful and, you know, take take good care despite this trash can. of events that we call human experience you know (laughs) can i get a hashtag self-care horn thank you (laughs) self-care horn was brought to you by women's rights women's women's rights because women do it right (laughs) all right now back to this super uplifting mini series re uh women's uh murder yeah you know what's fascinating actually is that the show there's so many microaggressions like sexual assault microaggressions throughout this entire show and it just again it made me very tired i'm just like this has just been going on and again the thing that's amazing is like nobody on this show even bats an eye no like they're just like okay y'all we get it get out of my way sometimes this works other times murder a lot of murdering so much murder so we're going to be covering this episode the first episode of netflix's alias grace 
I'm very excited. So this is written by Sarah Polly, mm-hmm. who you may know as PBS's Ramona Quimby mm-hmm. when she was a tiny baby girl. Um, and she also was in the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake, which I really like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like it. I get it. I but like I, I enjoyed it. I like a, I like a fast zombie. Nah. You know, it fits my uh, my post aughts <laughs> attention span. <laughs> like, why are those zombies taking so long? God, duh. Mm. And uh, Maggie Atz is a supervising producer. And Mary Heron is the director. She is also the director of American Psycho, one of my favorite mm. dark comedies of all time. Very good. I like the movie so much more than the book. Yeah, the book is a little heavy-handed, but I really like the book as well. I did not get through the book because I could not handle the starved rat bit. I read that, and I was like, bye. And I'm generally not super squeamish, but that really got me. That is, you're right, one of the most graphic books I Actually, I was reading it for, I was taking a class on, like, banned literature or something like that, and the teacher was like, you can read this, but you don't have to read this. Like, if mm-hmm. you don't want to read this, I respect like and it was crazy because this is like way before trigger warnings <laughs> or the internet. Um, you know, the fact that there was a teacher who actually like cared about our mental well being was foreign to me. Hmm. All right. Okay. So this first episode. Um And we're also going to do our best not to do book spoilers yeah so no book spoilers on the show we're gonna talk about the book after we talk about the show okay and then no holds barred Woo! we we open on an emily dickinson poem oh good i figured you would have these like i kind of like wrote some cursory notes about them but i was like molly's a completionist she'll have this figured out stick with me baby i've got the whole poem right here uh It's called, One Need Not Be a Chamber to be Haunted. Guess what the first sentence is? One Need Not Be a Chamber to be Haunted? Oh, so (laughs) predictable, Emily Dickinson. But I believe the first paragraph is the only paragraph that they use, which says, One Need Not Be a Chamber to be Haunted. One Need Not Be a House. The Brain Has Corridors Surpassing Material Place. So, ooh. Ooh, You know what that reminds me of? Mm. Sleep No More. Which I finally saw, Ooh. partially per Molly's request slash demand. Oh my god, because I have not been able to stop thinking about it since we did. So listeners, if you have been to Sleep No More in New York, please post your experiences on the page. Uh, not because it really relates to anything, but just because I'm so into it. <laughs> Anyhow, so that's a cool... Uh, they they are making the artistic choice in this show to begin every episode with a little poem like that. And... It, Okay, I was going to say this structure is similar to the book, but I don't even know if that's too much, but... I mean, I don't think it's too much to say. I mean, the book is like literally every Margaret Atwood book. (laughs) It's a conversation in the present that flashes back to the past. Fair. I don't think that gives anything away. Okay, great. Guess what, everybody? Stuff happens in the book. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So the year is 18... 59 59 i read my wrote really sloppily so i was gonna say 18501 <laughs> the year is yeah, 18501 18501 lame is i was singing it all day uh and i want to say right off the gate 
my favorite scene in this whole series so far, and we've watched several episodes at this point, is the scene at the very beginning where Grace is changing her expressions. <gasps> Ooh, you know girl. what? I basically... Oh, okay. Yes, I do. I was like, did I miss that completely? Because I was really like... I was very like plot-oriented. I was watching it. But yeah, when she's just sort of like... Just <sighs> looking different ways in the mirror. Well, here's what's interesting is I just never... It just gives us a reason to believe that Grace is potentially duplicitous, that she's a little bit like crucible-y, like putting things on. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And it's a perspective I hadn't thought of before, necessarily. Oh, that Grace is duplicitous? You hadn't thought of that? Potentially, no. Wow. I definitely thought, I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't talk about what we think of her yet. Fair. I don't think we know enough about her yet. As an actress, Sarah Gaydon did a great job with this scene. phenomenal. Needs a face Emmy for those micro expressions. And one thing I'll definitely say, I read some of the reviews, because this is airing in Canada. Right. And then... found it in a box on the street. We we find everything in a box on Mm -hmm. the street. We found a puppy to send to Elizabeth Moss for that photo that you posted. I know. So... There, you know, there have been reviews in Variety and Deadline and all these various places, and it's like they're all like, the inevitable comparison to The Handmaid's Tale. And I'm like, okay, like, yes, these are two things that exist, they share an originator of the source material, but I hate this idea, and this happens all the time with women's media, media produced by people of color, media produced by queer people, mm-hmm. like. There can be more than one, you guys. And like they're like, well, it's you know, it's not the same kind of performance as Elizabeth Moss. I'm like, it no. doesn't have to be. The characters like, of Offred because and the, the, Grace the are so different. The implication keeps being like, oh well, like Elizabeth Moss's role and performance are so much better. But I'm like, this is an equally rich and detailed and layered role. Absolutely, you don't have to like pit them against each other. I agree with you, and I think that what we should how we should approach this as fans of The Handmaid's Tale and fans of this is think about what Margaret Atwood as a person likes to think about. And I th- I would venture... Men are trash. Yeah. Get it? Get it? <laughs> They're trash. A, men are trash. B, words can mean two different things sometimes. <laughs> Get it? I like Get doing it? cameos. <laughs> I would venture to say that it's she, very little work and I get to hang out at the craft services table all day. You know what I love? A cheese and cracky. <laughs> They're my favorite. <laughs> and oh. a little crudite. <laughs> crudite, cheese and crackers. Cracky. <laughs> the three C's. Um, anyhow, I think Margaret Atwood wants us to consider the kinds of things that women talk to with other women and the kinds of things that women talk to with men, which actually kind of ties into our uh, Me Too discussion. I agree. I mean, just this entire, like this entire news cycle has really had me. Well, and this will not air until a couple weeks after this news cycle. So who knows what monstrous thing. Jesus (laughs) Christ. But we should pay attention to the internal lives of women and what happens when they cannot be kept internal. Well, and what I'll say, too, this is the same frame as The Handmaid's Tale in terms of Mm -hmm. it's this woman telling her story. Mm -hmm. The only real difference is that the audience is an actual person 
that we meet and see right and are disturbed by his uncanny valley face <sighs> um but um you know it's it's just this woman you know thinking about what she sees absolutely and we get to decide is she a reliable narrator mm-hmm. you know there's a lot there's a lot to decide absolutely and i love i love this mini series because it is so it's so calm Mm-hmm. After the Handmaid's Tale, which was it like is. this constant assault, and it's like a slow burn, there's brutal stuff here. I mean, this entire first sequence where she's like making faces in the mirror and talking about you know the different emotions that people can go through and what you can tell from a person's face, you're getting flashbacks of these murders. murders. Yeah, um, yeah. And you don't have any context for the murders. You don't know who this person is and you don't honestly you don't know who that person is until several episodes i mean i think they're named in this episode because uh, dr jordan meets with the reverend yeah and they talk about james mcdermott i think they talk about nancy montgomery and mr kinnear maybe um but you don't know how they're related to grace no you don't know you don't know anything about them but like they're named here right and you can like infer like, oh, like, you know that she's been held for murder because she has that great bit that was in all the trailers about murderous, <laughs> which I love. I like it, too. I like a good Irish accent. And hers is actually Ooh, it's flawless. So good. It's extremely good. Oh, I like every time she says now, it's like night. Uh-huh. Night. Yeah. I just like move my bottom lip and hope that something comes out. <laughs> So we get to the framing device of this show, which is Grace recounting her story to Simon Jordan. It is Simon Jordan. Okay, so nice. They named him twice, who is a just a real milksop of a of a like psychiatrist. I'm super into it. Uh, So at this time, he would have been called an alienist. And yes, it is true. Yikes. That's Um, poor branding. Look, man, uh, they didn't have good words back then, (laughs) but they do Uh, now. If you're interested in that kind of thing, a really great book is The Alienist by Caleb Carr. And he also wrote a sequel to that one called The Angel of Darkness. I am a big fan of both of those. So check them out. They feature a character that is a young Teddy Roosevelt when he was on the police force. And we'll be doing, um, consider this, I suppose you consider this our second season of Red All Over or like a different segment of Red All Over. We're covering this and we will have a uh, book list that goes along with this. So don't worry, I'm keeping tabs. That sounds like a fascinating book. It's great. I love it. So we get this framing device that's happened several times before in other genres where it's a professional talking to a killer trying to suss them out. And I just wanted to know, what is your fave of this genre? Oh, because I got to say Silence of the Lambs all the way. That's the only one that I could think of. So I don't know that that's accurate. Dang it. When I proposed this, it seemed like there were a bunch of things in this genre. And now I can't think I of them. I also really like The Cell, which is kind of like that, except that it's very different because it's so trippy. Is The Cell with Edward Norton? No, The Cell is with Jennifer Lopez. Okay. And she goes inside Vincent D'Onofrio's fucked up head. Uh, okay, so that's it is one. terrifying. Tarsem Singh is the director. The other one I'm thinking of is the one with Edward Norton. Oh, uh, Prime Suspects. Yeah, so that's another one, too. I don't think I ever saw that one. It's very good. I get so mad at Edward Norton for some reason. We can move on. Yeah. So her visit with Dr. Jordan is juxtaposed with her visit with 
the doctor who puts like a pokey helmet on her head yeah, to so try to read her. We're finding out she's seen a lot of doctors and she is in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Um, is it King's Penitentiary? But she is at this penitentiary and we find out that the governor's wife uh, likes to sort of put Grace out on display. Mm-hmm. So Grace is permitted to do all of the housework for the governor's wife in order that she can kind of flaunt this semi-celebrity mm-hmm. prisoner to all of her weird, you know, yeah. 1859 friends. It's sort of like a live version of the people who buy, like, John Wayne Gacy clown paintings, basically. <laughs> no, genuinely. <laughs> it's people wanting a sort of attachment to this very morbid, scary thing uh, as a souvenir, almost. And so mm-hmm. she's a human souvenir, of this horrific crime. It's very interesting. Another thing I want you to think about as you watch this and listen to this is how society and women specifically relate to like sordid crime stories. Cause that's worth digging into. Yeah. I E my favorite murder <laughs> sword and scale. Exactly. Which I can't listen to cause I'm too scared. I used to listen to sword and scale a lot, but mm. I, I started getting annoyed with him constantly being like, these people are monsters. <laughs> I feel like we've already talked about this, but basically just like, he's like, Oh, these monsters. I'm like, these people are mentally ill. Right. Like there's reasons that they're like this. Right. So let's think about that as yeah. we keep going. The cutscenes. One thing I will say about this show is the cutscenes are flawless. Whether it's in this episode where we keep getting cutbacks to the brutal murder at oh, times. Oh, you mean when, flashbacks? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I suppose so. In in video games, they're the cutscenes. Okay, between. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I guess I'm Please referring. Help me. Sorry. Uh, they they <laughs> juxtapose moments where she's especially sedate with visions of the murder. Yes, and. In later episodes, they juxtapose her talking with her stabbing a needle through fabric. Mm -hmm. So the cutscenes here are so suggestive and interesting. I'm really enjoying them. I think that's very artfully done. She'll have these flashbacks as well at points when Dr. Jordan is trying to draw her out on a particular thing. I think because he gives her an apple when he first meets her. She's Mm -hmm. in a cell and... um, he gives her this apple and he's like, what does this make you think of? And like her internal monologue is like, yeah, uh, I'm not a baby. I know that you want me to talk about the Bible and the garden of good and evil. Cause he's like, what kind of apple should you not eat? And she's like a rotten one, I suppose. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, foiled again. It's my stupid face. <laughs> yeah. He's sort of the less artful Margaret Atwood in that he really wants her to make things mean more than what they mean on the surface. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of wise to him and on purpose foiling it at every well, turn. Well, and this is all pre-Sigmund Freud. Totally. The entire idea of psychology, let alone psychiatry, mm-hmm. is like beyond embryonic. It's right. an unfertilized <laughs> egg at this point. <laughs> and so, you know, he talks about his methods. Like, he's literally making this up. Yeah. He has no idea if this is actually going to help get him where he is supposed to yeah. go because we do find out rather early on uh he meets with the reverend mm-hmm. who's played by david cronenberg oh okay oh my gosh listen <laughs> videodrome one of my favorite movies uh also david cronenberg did a history of violence 
He did Existence, a bunch of other stuff. He is definitely Canada's premier body horror director. Okay. And, you know, I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder if he and Maggie Atz, like, hang out. Because I feel like they both are into body horror. And when you think about how into body horror they are, plus being Canadian, it's just (laughs) strange to me. Welcome back to Cheese and Crackies with Cronenberg. (laughs) My name is Margaret Atwood. These are our crackies. And here is Cronenberg. We have a nice water cracky. Last week, you remember, we had a saltine cracky. <laughs> Some people find crackies dry, but dry can also pertain to wit. What do you have to say about that, crony? <laughs> That's what I imagine that is like. <laughs> uh, subscribe. There is only one point at which I think she gives him something good in response to his his vegetable prompt. <laughs> hashtag vegetable prompts i love i love i love my vegetable prompt hey sweet vegetable prompt i don't know why i love it he gives her a beat and she says you should peel a beet after it's roasted, which leads me to think he's got to warm her up to talk about the murder by asking her about her life. And then she's going to be vulnerable, a.k.a. peel the skin <gasps> off. You know, I was so excited because I literally I write very dry notes <laughs> and uh, get it. <laughs> Much like a saltine cracky. I write saltine cracky notes, <laughs> but I'm like. Man, Molly's so good at like critical thinking Aww. and contextualizing things. So I'm like, she'll bring the, she'll be the cheese ball. Nice. That I can spread on top of these dry ass notes. Oh, bless you. Going back to the Reverend Go before ahead. we got distracted by crackies. He has hired Dr. Jordan mm-hmm. specifically to interview and exonerate Grace. Right. So this is a situation where like the Sugar Council commissions an experiment <laughs> to prove that sugar doesn't rot your teeth they're like totally they're like look up look here dentists we don't have time for your fancy facts and your numbers and your wig you know your crazy whirly gigs <laughs> we need people to understand that sugar is great so they want grace to be freed grace has been a model prisoner yeah. In her time at the penitentiary, she had a brief stint at the asylum that we see flashes of that look most unpleasant. <sighs> they don't look fun. Uh, no, they don't, Kelly. <laughs> no, they don't. Gee, Molly, looks like we're getting a flashback of Grace at the asylum. <laughs> Doesn't look fun. Nope, does not. Strap in for a wild ride or because they make you strap down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag me too. So the Reverend is, you know, paying Dr. Jordan to do this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's like very important to me and my society. Mm -hmm. Like she's a perfectly, you know, pious, good young woman. She's been in prison for most of her life. Let's get her out of here. And Dr. Jordan's like, well, I'm not, I'm a man of science. Mm. Okay. I'm not committing to your crazy sugar is good for you plan. (laughs) He is very, he's reticent. I would call him reticent if you were like, Kelly, describe Dr. Simon Jordan in one word. I would choose reticent. He is reticent to take a stand on anything Mm -hmm. at any time, at any point. So 
we know that there are people who have sort of ulterior motives for Grace to not have been guilty of these murders. And I think the Reverend has, does he have the pamphlet that's the printout of James McDermott's confession? Yes. And we do get a flashback of him, don't we? Yeah. In this episode where he's on the scaffold and getting ready to be hanged and he's screaming, Grace Marks made me do it. Yeah, I know that scene happened because I wrote a note that said, McDermott, get your Oberyn Martell looking ass out of here. I don't have time for you. So that is an insult to Oberyn Martell. It is. And Although, I think it you was know what's weird is that actor, but he's on Narcos. Mm. He is not attractive to me on Narcos. Weird. It's like only as Oberyn Martell do I find him attractive. Weird. I have it's people like, like that. It's like how John Hamm is only attractive as Don Draper. Oh, hard disagree. And by hard, I mean my clitoris because <laughs> he's attractive any way you slice him and twice on Sundays. Anyhow. So you're right. That is interesting that he seems to have a vested interest in getting her free. Mm-hmm. So we should look into when we're reading and watching the people's different people's motives for why Grace should be out of jail or in jail. Yeah. As well as what are Grace's motives yeah. for everything. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so she goes back to the prison after her first interview with Jordan and she gets choked the heck out or somebody else does. Uh, I don't think it's her. You're right. It's not. But. I okay so I enjoy the scenes in the prison where they're carting her up and down the stairs because there's a sign that says no spitting no talking (laughs) and if this was a standalone podcast that wasn't already called red all over it would be called (laughs) no spitting no talking (laughs) that is funny oh the other concept that got introduced by the reverend is um spiritualism Mm, ah god can i tell you a genre that is just right up my alley is fucking old-timey spiritualism really oh i'm so into it that's fascinating because you don't like scary things as you know here's the thing i like to dance right up to the edge of something scary get too scared and then go back down and then several days later forget that i was scared and then go back up to it so i understand you know i did eventually work through that it can be done Uh. (laughs) yeah no, but I agree. Uh, do you listen to the podcast Lore? Uh, no, they talk I'm worried about, that might be too scary. Well, <laughs> it is, but they talk about old-timey spiritualism all the time. Ooh, I'm into it. And usually they prove that it was fake, but sometimes they don't. Those are the scariest ones of all. That What's really scary on that is that they talk about like gremlins and stuff. Like World War II gremlins. And I'm like, now I'm like, I'm pretty convinced. I'm like, I, that sounds real as fuck. I believe it a billion percent. So Grace is sewing a quilt mm-hmm. during Ooh. her interview. I Boy. love this. And I didn't realize until after this scene, the opening credits yeah. is quilt based. Gosh, Kelly, do you think quilts maybe mean more than just quilts in this show? Absolutely not. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Knowing what we know about Margaret Atwood, knowing what we know about female depictions of anything. I'm sorry, Kelly. That was a blanket statement. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Where's my self-care horn? Look, I can't do the horn if I'm dancing, but here. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, quilts are an important motif because as Grace tells us, uh, you may think of a bed as a peaceful thing, 
but it's a center of violence and birth and mm-hmm. death and all kinds of things that women have such a keen connection with. So the kind of quilt I think it we're meant to believe symbolizes your sort of outward protection of gross insides. I also look, I look at a quilt as a story mm-hmm. and the clear metaphor here is Dr. Jordan is trying to quilt grace essentially. Oh, you know, he's he's trying to put these disparate pieces of what she's telling him, what he's getting out of McDermott's confession, you know, what the reverend is telling him. Mm. This is this is not I don't want to alarm you. They didn't have the internet. What? They didn't. Boy, that explains why they're churning butter all the time. Right? What else do they have to do? Uh so there's no there's no way for him to get a lot of information about this because most of the people that knew her are dead. Like her family, her friends, former employers, or like they have like, you know, moved away. Like there's no easy way to like, you can't just call somebody and be like, (laughs) yo, do you think this bitch killed people? Or like, what is, what is her deal? You can't find her like LinkedIn and see what (laughs) other people are saying about her. No, I mean, who's good at critical thinking now? That was an excellent reading of the quilt. I wouldn't have thought of that. So I really love this. So this show, I think I like watching it so much because it scratches my uh, little house on the prairie itch (laughs) where there's like a lot of like frontier skills happening, i.e. quilting, butter churning, uh, eating apples, you know, just boring pre-cable stuff. I swear to God, if they take a pig's bladder and make it into a balloon, I will lose my damn mind. (laughs) I will keep that in mind. I will have some smelling salts at the ready. Oh, girl. So Grace is making a log cabin quilt mm-hmm. for Miss Lydia, who is the governor's wife's daughter. Mm-hmm. That is right. Accurate. And she says it's just an everyday quilt and that any woman who gets married should have three quilts or should have made these three quilts, you know, essentially for her uh, trousseau. Mm-hmm. The Tree of Paradise, the Flower Basket, and Pandora's Box. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Pandora's kind of, Box. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like they're all saying one thing about what it's like to be a woman. Yep. And I think the other thing that's really beautiful about not just these quilts that come up, but also the thread that runs through uh-huh. Margaret. Oh, <laughs> see? I have pun blindness. <laughs> I never know. Oh, boy. <laughs> They're hard to pin down. But through all of Margaret Atwood's work is this very quiet insistence. Like, we're not the fairer sex. We're not weak. We're not Mm -hmm. these, like, dainty, wilting flowers. It's about encountering the everyday violence of womanhood. Right. And that can be something as big as what Grace talks about here. Childbirth, Mm -hmm. the sex act, death, Mm -hmm. all of these things. Or it can be, you know, just Grace having a conversation with this strange man who wants things from her. It's her interactions with the guards. It is, you know, the doctor projecting his idea of Grace onto Grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The doctor, the reverend. The reverend, yeah. It's great. Yeah, so it's it's just, I think women's relationship to violence is Margaret Atwood's number... If I had to choose a phrase <laughs> to describe the herb of Margaret Atwood, it would be women's relationship to violence because it's too reductive to say it's about 
violence done to women. Absolutely, It's reductive to say it's about violence that women do because I mean, it's, it's all of these things, but it's not, it's not binary like that. It is the whole 360 experience, you know, how we inflict it, how we experience it, how we process it, how we pass it along you know, friendship to friendship, generation to generation. He gets to, he gets her to ex- describe the voyage from Ireland. Before this, he brings up the name Mary Whitney, which we don't get into, but she does say, Mary Whitney was a particular friend of mine. Irish accents are so hard. You're the only one great. that's harder is Scottish. But anyway, but so that's the name that she gave when she was arrested mm-hmm. um she was traveling under this false name of mary whitney he wants to know about mary whitney but she's not willing to go there right we've got to heat up that beat. at this point yes you've definitely hashtag look, heat the beat pop it in the oven then you just run it under a gentle stream heat the beat <laughs> hashtag heat the beat hashtag heat the beat <laughs> yeah so she doesn't go into that yet but it's a good little teaser then we get into the voyage from Ireland. And speaking of women's proximity to violence, just the idea that she's like, shit, I wish one of these kids would drown so that we didn't have to bring them all with us. Yeah. Well, and about it's her not, brother you know, and sisters. It's, it's a situation. It's not even that it's, it's not malicious. She's just like, we can't feed them. Yeah. She's like, they're going to die here. or they are going to die there? Also our introduction to Grace's parents. Mm-hmm. The second they step foot on the ship, her dad just clocks her mom. For no apparent reason. She gathers the kids, though. She's the oldest of, I believe, four total? Sure. Okay. So there's one girl who's slightly older, and then I think... Is there two or three more that are younger? Maybe there's five of them. There's a lot of little kids. There's a bunch of little kids. (laughs) There's a whole little mess of them. So many tiny bitches. Tiny bitches. Mm Mm-hmm. Tiny bitches <laughs> in the hold. Exactly. We already get the sense of doom and danger. No less than when Grace's mom's like, yo, I'm not going to touch the land again. <laughs> yeah, because and that's what's so interesting to me about Alias Grace. It's so much more literary to me where there are these people like these people are constantly having these like portents of doom yeah and premonitions and there's a there's a lot of spiritualism and like fortune telling uh-huh. and all of these sort of superstitious things that we don't get in something like the handmaid's tale because it's so much more modern right and you know so you get grace's mom who's just like yeah you know what uh i'm out this is a series out for me yeah Sea travel was no joke. Oh, uh, my God. Sea travel looks like the worst. Everything I've ever watched about sea travel, it has been <laughs> freaking terrible. And so they're down in the hold and Ugh. people are ralphing everywhere. <laughs> there is no there is no windows downstairs. Girl, they might as well call this mouse in the motorcycle. because. <laughs> Oh my God, Ralph is going all around. <laughs> Just up and down. Get me an aspirin. We got to get through this. Okay. Grace is like trying to like keep things together, but her mom, uh, her mom's not doing great. 
this is what I wanted to say when you're saying that she has all these doom, doomy, like portents around her is like women, it kind of makes sense that they would be keyed into something like this because they are literal conduits of birth and death. Mm hmm. Uh, just in their bodies is like we can create life and things can also die inside of us. And, you know, we can die as a result of creating that life. And so we look at Grace's mom who potentially pregnant, potentially pregnant. I don't think that she is. I think she has like a tumor, right? Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's sort of like a passing idea, but Grace has seen her in a quote unquote delicate condition so many times. Uh-huh. She's like, that's not what this is. Right. Either Although way. the doctor comes, this ship's doctor, Oof. I'm going to kick him square in the nuts. And this crap still happens today. I was just reading an article about like how do we, women aren't believed by their own medical <laughs> practitioners about the levels of pain that they're in. Jeez. And so he comes down and he's like, uh, well, uh, don't move her, but, uh, I gotta get out of here because it smells so bad. Yeah. And it's like, fuck you, brony. Yeah. You're not a good doctor, sir. It's just miserable. You're not that Freddie Highmore show or whatever the hell's going oh, on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> With any luck, that'll be canceled by the time oh. this airs. So as we've been kind of hinting at is Grace's mom dies and we get the first instance of the idea that when a person dies, you need to give them an opening, a physical opening so that their soul can leave. So we're told this by this older woman who is on the voyage Mm -hmm. and we forgot the detail where there are a lot of Catholics and a lot of Protestants. So Grace is a Protestant. She's from Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. Her father got mixed up with a bunch of orange men and Mm -hmm. basically they had to like get the hell out. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, doesn't like the, he's an Englishman Mm -hmm. who wound up in Ireland. So, you know, it's a very much like Angela's ashes dynamic where like the dad is an Irish, but, is living yeah. with all these Irish people. So down below there is a Catholic priest and a Protestant minister and they have to have Sunday services like literally like right <laughs> next to each other. Um, so the woman who is talking to Grace is Catholic. Right. And she's like, how have you never heard of this? You have to like open a window mm-hmm. to let the soul out. And I had never heard this, but you can damn sure bet that if i'm ever in the room with a dead person oh, i am yeah. opening all the windows I'm i want to like, open a window and jump out of it i don't want to be in know, that room mostly i just leave a window open <laughs> you know what guys because what if i die and nobody's around to oh i don't want to be stuck in a place good rule of thumb redheads just leave a window yeah, open leave it open a crack, a crack. <laughs> souls souls uh they gotta get out but also that's dumb because souls are like not physical objects. Potentially. <laughs> we don't know. Listen to lore. <laughs> but what I think perhaps this is getting us to think about is when a woman dies, who tells her story? It's sort of like who lives, who mm-hmm. dies, who tells their story. You yeah. Know? But also like when a woman dies, who cares? Yeah. Because uh, the dad doesn't care. Right. Who takes care of things? Mm-hmm. Because Grace is not equipped here. And no, they they made the choice to have Sarah Gadon. Yeah. Uh, play Grace through every stage of her life. Yeah. So technically speaking, 
she is 12 when she comes to America. Mm -hmm. She's clearly not 12 here. Right. I read one review that suggested that like she is the same age through everything because that's how Dr. Jordan sees her. Oh, that's giving someone too much credit. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I also think that she does a great job playing a teenager. Yeah. Like I, I, I was not taken out of it at all. Nor was I, Um, but I think that's an interesting reading. Sure. But I think they've aged her up regardless. They always do that on TV. Because like in books, people are like, yeah, let's inflict trauma on a 12-year-old. And then for some reason, film producers are like, ah, that's a bit much. We'll do the inflicting <laughs> trauma. Thank you very much. I'm just going to make the same joke. So I'm glad you did it. So you the, yeah, the ep- how does the episode close? We're not even done with the trauma yet, Maldol. Oh, jeez. There's so much more trauma. All right. So there's, oh, I also, there's so much Bible. There's so much Old Testament Bible. Mm -hmm. Were you excited? I get so excited about Old (laughs) Testament Bible. I love Old Testament Bible. So she's talking about Jonah and the whale. Oh, I wrote that down as well. And how at least Jonah was by himself. (laughs) And she's stuck down here with all of these, like, you know, disgusting people. Mm -hmm. Talks a little bit about the Tower of Babel when she gets to Mm. Toronto it's like the Tower of Babel because, mm-hmm. you know, there's people of all different races speaking all different languages. You know, she doesn't really know how to get her bearings. So they get a house and her father promptly starts to drinking. Uh, he's not doing what he should yeah. do, which is providing for his young children. And then we get a very upsetting scene where he... He comes home and yells at Grace, why is his breakfast not made? Hmm, clocks her. Too. Yeah, well, because like he gives her like two seconds and then hits her. Mm-hmm. And then later she's gone and laid down in. They have one bed, which I think is normally his. But he was out, so she's laying mm-hmm. there. So he comes and is drunk and kisses her in a not appropriate way. And this makes sense to me in terms of like what's going on with him. Because mm-hmm. he's just reenacting the dynamic that he had with her mother, right. which was he'd get angry, he'd clock yeah. her, he'd have sex with her, yeah. they'd have another baby, repeat. Right. So I don't know that he doesn't know that that's Grace. I don't know. Oh, you, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Either thing is plausible to me. So I, it's, it's, there's no clarity, I think, from the filmmakers no. on that score. But after it happens, he recognizes what happened and he's like, you need to leave. And she's like, uh, I'm not the one that fucked up. Yeah, totally. So she tells Katie, who's like maybe 10, that she's in charge of the kids now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she says to Dr. Jordan, you know, she told them she would come back and she meant it at the time. But she didn't. Yeah. So she, you know, leaves home to go start work. And so scary. That's the extremely uplifting ending. Well, she goes into the whole monologue about the splitting open like a peach. I wonder if he had given her a peach instead of an apple, (laughs) if she would have been more forthcoming. Oh, this is great because I do have a monologue about this. I've been preparing this for years, sir. This is wonderful. When I practice, my face is in the mirror. Oh, I was about a peach. I was just yearning for a stone fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was just. Cracking on about us. They're out of season. You must be a grand doctor. Oh, it was a run by fruiting. <laughs> See, you can't 
do that. I can't do alias face for very long before it becomes Mrs. Doubtfire. That is the problem of this show. One critique. I can't do it. Oh my goodness. So that's how this first episode closes. And it leaves us. I think this is a pretty good pilot episode. I agree. And I also, I love a mini series. I love, I, I love, I love knowing it's going to be six episodes Oof, in out. Tight. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I did think of one thing. Go ahead. That I wrote down that I did not say. Please. Several things, actually. Strap in, people. We're not done yet. Oh, just because okay. the episode's over. I just wrote down, women are not puzzles. I think men always approach us as if we're puzzles. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. We can be puzzling. But anybody can be puzzling. But it's like, we're not your property to solve. I guess. You you don't have a, like, Dr. Jordan doesn't have a right to the contents of Grace's mind. The Reverend doesn't have a right to decide what her character is. Mm -hmm. Her father doesn't have the right to her body Uh or what she does with her life. Here's what I think, is I think there's such a cultural prerogative for women to keep so much of their inner workings inner and not express them especially in this time period that in the lack of their being able to talk about what they're thinking it allows men to impart their like fantasies on them Mm -hmm. and even if it's fantasies of like i fantasize that you are a murderess or i fantasize that you are in need of my help like men fill in the space without realizing that they're the reasons that the women didn't feel comfortable talking to begin with. I'll just quote my favorite line from Othello once again. <laughs> the ills we do, their ills instruct us so. Mm-hmm. Boom. Boom. Then she dies for speaking the <laughs> truth. Uh, but mainly for getting in between Othello and Desdemona. Yeah. I also like the line that she has, people want a guilty person. Mm-hmm. They don't like not knowing. Ooh. Because we don't. We don't. We always want things to be so cut and dry. Yeah. And that has never worked out for us. Yeah. Like, as who is the real bad guy in season one of Serial? We don't know. <sighs> I have never listened to Serial. Oh, and I never will. Missing out. I don't like that whole This American Life thing. Mm. Just their whole aesthetic. I love it. I think that's all of the errant notes that I have, uh, except to note that I did not know what Zachary Levi looked like until this show, because I thought that the guy playing Dr. Jordan I know. was him, and I was like very confused. Nope. The guy playing Dr. Jordan is Edward, and his last name starts with an H, but you know what? Didn't write very clean notes. <laughs> But Zachary Levi will show up next episode. Oh my God. There's literally, I, we need to take a photo of this and post it because it's literally Zachary Levi over a smiley face with hearts for the eyes. Because I think he's attractive. I, I do too. So you once I, once me. I discovered who he actually was, I was mm-hmm. like, get it. Get it. But when I thought he was this guy, I'm still weirdly, like, I would still have sex with this guy. I, when I read and this. And I don't feel good about that. <laughs> well, you he never do. He seems really pointy. He has a sexier, potentially, part in The Kingsman, so you might be int- more interested in that. Okay. Um, but when I was reading the book, I was picturing Adam Driver as this character and was oh. thus very turned on by this dopey character because I was picturing Adam Driver. But now that it's this guy, I'm not as into it. In fact, I think Jordan is more of a fuckboy in this version, mainly because I'm not attracted to him. Interesting. I am attracted to fuckboys. Oh, no. 
and thusly both in the book and in this i am like let's see what happens let's see where it goes you know i don't have any expectations even though i do well in terms of kelly liking fuck boys and the rest of alias grace let's just see where it goes uh if you're just now joining us and you haven't listened to our podcast before we talk a lot (laughs) yeah but we're hashtag chill not trill chill not trill chill not trill catch the fever if you like us, you can find our Facebook page read all over a Handmaid's Tale recap and maybe go back and listen to our Handmaid's Tale content. It's yeah. much the same. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And if you want to find us on Twitter, Molly is at Serious Molly. And Kelly is at Kelly Anakin. We're delightful. We're very fun. Uh, and please keep interacting with us on Facebook. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Positive ones, please. Yeah. <laughs> shrill, not chill. We're, we're really <laughs> no, trying this season. Chill, not shrill. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't chill. confuse people. Sorry, guys. They already think we're shrill. Sorry. Chill, not shrill. We're trying really hard. <laughs> we're trying so hard. So uh, we usually use this sign off for our Handmaid's Tale podcast, but since there are bastards everywhere, we thought this was unilaterally appropriate. So, nolite te bastardes carborundorum. And there's the shrill. Here again.